Welcome back to the Beyond Rockets podcast. I'm your host, Clark Dunn. The Beyond Rockets podcast is a way for me to showcase and highlight some of the small business owners, entrepreneurs, and talented creatives here in the Rocket City that make Huntsville way more than just a Rocket City. If you're not yet subscribed to the podcast, you can subscribe wherever you listen. You can follow me on YouTube at Beyond Rockets, as well as Instagram at Beyond Rockets to stay up to date with new and exciting things happening in Huntsville, as well as new episodes as they are released. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy. This episode is sponsored by We Are Huntsville. We Are Huntsville, previously known as Our Valley Events, helps you discover things to do in Huntsville, Alabama. They cover the best events, places to eat, and experiences to inspire you to get out and find your fun. I love We Are Huntsville because it's ability to keep me up to date. With so many new and exciting things happening in Huntsville every day, it can be hard to keep track. With their large calendar of events, you'll never worry again about being bored. Check out We Are Huntsville by visiting their website and social media platforms today. Welcome back to another episode of Beyond Rockets. In this episode, I sit down and talk with the founders of Bizly, a local tech startup that partners with local businesses in the area to create a more personalized experience for your favorite places, as well as they are pivoting to, to offer a community management platform. First off, thank you for taking the time to sit down and talking with me. Would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do? Yeah, sure. So uh, my name is Christopher Niblett. I'm one of three co-founders and CEO of Bizly. My name's Abby, Abby Alter, um, also another co-founder of I'm Brett Ball, uh, co-founder and CEO, or so, <laughs> COO of Bizly. There we go. There we go. What were y'all doing prior to kind of starting Bizly? I mean, I know Bizly's a pretty pretty new startup, um, hasn't really been around too long. So what were y'all doing and what's your background? Uh, yeah, so I was a software engineer. Um, okay. was working as a DOD software engineer on, on the arsenal, developing weapon systems for the Army. Um can't say a whole lot more about it. Um, prior to that, I was a software engineer for NASA in the test area for three years. Okay. Yeah, so I was actually working at Beezer, a local restaurant, um, as their uh, director of communications. And I was a government software engineer working at, you know, the Missile Space Intelligence Center right there in the Redstone Arsenal. So it's <laughs> about all I can say. Um, and before that, I uh, uh, worked in a as an intelligence analyst in different aspects. So from Army, did that for a while, did that as a contractor, and then that led to software engineering uh, where I worked at CENTCOM at the time in Tampa, Florida, and then moved to Huntsville. So are, 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 so you're not originally from Huntsville. No, are are you all originally from Huntsville, or are you all kind of just – most people I have on are not originally from Huntsville, so it's always interesting to see kind of like what the yeah. dynamic is. But where are you originally from? So I'm probably the closest. I'm from Hayden, Alabama. It's okay. about an hour south of here. It's in between Birmingham and Huntsville. Okay. Uh, we moved to Huntsville in 2015 okay. with the, to take the job in the NASA test area. So. I'm from Chattanooga, Tennessee. Okay. Um, I went to college there and then moved to Knoxville, Tennessee before I came here. And I'm from Savannah, Georgia, but I spent probably half my time growing up there and then half in the Washington, D.C. Beltway. Okay. So it seems like the back, so going from a tech startup is what y'all do now, but kind of your backgrounds are all in a lot of different other sectors. Who, uh, how'd you kind of originally have this idea for um, Bizly and where did this come about and who kind of had that initial idea and what'd you do with this idea? Um, Yeah, so it was probably me. Um, Yeah, so I've, I've been working in as a government contractor, software engineer, you know, pretty much all of my professional career. 
but I've always wanted to, to build something myself to actually start my own business. And um, so for the last couple of years, I've, I've always been interested in this sort of West coast style startups as they call like a company that has a more speculative business model or non-traditional and it's going to take outside capital, you know, for more of a hyper growth, a larger outcome. And there, there aren't a lot of, you know, tech companies like that in the Southeast. Um, there are some, but they're, they tend to be more West Coast, more of an East Coast. So I had a couple of other business ideas, things that I tried, and um, every and they all failed and, <laughs> uh, you know, some faster than others. But in this iteration, it was I started seeing things clicking faster, clicking easier. Um, so kind of the root idea was I think my – I had previously built a car shopping website, you know, think like an auto trader competitor. Okay. And, but the special sauce there was with auto trader and car gurus and some of the other sites, the dealerships have to pay to be listed on them. So there's like a voluntary data feed. And there's a lot of like, like all of the middlemen, the, the players in the middle, and they're all taking a piece. And so the way that my site was different is I wrote a web crawler that in Python that could go out and build a search index, a model of car dealerships, publicly facing websites, which they want to be indexed anyways. And so this code would go look at a particular dealer website and it would know this car is at this URL and it's this make and model and it has this many miles and you know, all the, all the information, all the things that you would want and then plug that information into the search model. And then I had an interface that looked very similar to like AutoTrader to where you could go search those cars. And I, I spent just countless hours doing like the classic programming software developer thing, which was I didn't really think about the business. I, I sort of looked at it more as an interesting computer science project. And just spent so many hours solving, like, well, what about this edge case? Well, what about if the car is listed <laughs> this way or built all the user account stuff from scratch? Like, well, what if a user wants to log in and they want to add it to their watch list? And at the end, what happened is I had this really technically beautiful product, uh, but there was no business. So when when it came time to go, you know, talk to dealerships and, like, talk talk to the customers, it was, hey, this is a really tough business because car dealerships don't want to talk to you. Um, when you call them to try to do a sales process, you know, you're, you're not getting the owner of the company. You're getting someone who's a, who's a gatekeeper whose job is literally to keep you away from them. <laughs> um, and then it's like, if you do everything right, you know, even as a car dealer, but as a car shopping platform on the consumer end, on the shopper end, it's like you could have the best website and you do everything correctly. And best case scenario your user comes back to you in five to seven years when they need to buy another car, you know, maybe. Yeah. Um, so it's not a great business. So, but I was like really attached to it. I've always loved cars and um, spent a lot of time. And so last year, the, the, the time starts to bleed yeah. together with COVID. Um, last year, 2021, probably around spring, summer, I finally was in a place for, no one's using this thing. I'm going to shut it down. So I logged into AWS and shut down the servers. And, you know, that was a really painful process. What was the name of this of the site that you uh, Yeah, it was carventure.com. Okay. So C-A-R-V-E-N-T-U-R-E, which is a, a great domain name. <laughs> um, that was not like a 99, you know, a 999 domain. I had to buy that from a domain broker. And eventually I'll come back to it. 
you know, I have, I have other ideas, things that I've learned for what could be built there. So that's still an interesting space, um, but it's not the focus right now. So it was like summer. My wife and I took a vacation. We went to Orange Beach, and um, I shut down the Carventure servers, and I was giving myself space to think about, you know, what's next, what can I do next, what other options are out there. And I started thinking about, you know, some of the issues with Carventure is that it it was hyper-focused from, from a business perspective. It was hyper-focused on just dealers, you know, no other segments in the, in the market. And then on the shopper side, like I just described, it was if you do everything right, you come back in seven years. Um, and so I thought, well, what would it look like to build a platform that maybe can serve all businesses and maybe that could add value to a larger cohort uh, mm-hmm. of users on a tighter cycle, not yeah. a seven-year cycle? And so we were at the beach, and w- when you – when I travel, I want to eat somewhere local. I don't want to eat at a chain, you know, not unless you have to. Yeah. Um, and so it was kind of surprising, you know, being in like the COVID bubble, I hadn't really used Yelp or hadn't really used Google or Maps or, or any of the big tools out there. And it was surprisingly difficult to find, um, is this place an actual local business, yeah. like a mom and pop place? And um, so when I got, so while I was at the beach for the week, I had my laptop with me and... Uh, after hours in the morning when my daughter was still asleep or, or late, late in the evening, I took my laptop out and I actually was able to repurpose some of the Carventure code and, and kind of put together something that kind of looked like a Yelp clone, basically. Okay. You know, just like a simple map interface and some cards and there's like a business profile. And, um, but I, I caught myself, you know, going down this old rabbit hole of like starting with the technology first and not starting with the, with the business. Yeah. Um, so when I got back from the beach and was like, let me go talk to some businesses. Let me go actually get in front of customers and go talk to businesses and say, you know, and just start those conversations. Like, Mm -hmm. what are your biggest pain points? How can we solve them? Would you use this? And so through that process, um, I called, I got in touch somehow with Northside Coffee. Okay. Oh, I, I started with Black Dog Vinyl and Hi-Fi, um, Grounds and Sounds now is what they're called in Madison. And mm-hmm. uh, that's Cliff and Leslie. It's a really cool spot. They have coffee, they have records. Um, and talking to them, they told me that they were getting their coffee from Northside Coffee. And I should go talk to Keenan at Northside Coffee at, at Beezer. So I reached out to Keenan and uh, kind of gave him just a brief overview. Hey, and I, I was phrasing it at the time as Yelp for small businesses. Because mm-hmm. everybody knows what Yelp is and a lot of the guidance you read is like when you're starting a company, like a tech company, it's helpful to frame your your business as like a David versus Goliath. Mm-hmm. So were you thinking at the time that it was going to be like that reviews sort yeah. of thing? Yeah, it, yeah, it was yeah. going to be like yes. a, like instead of like a, you provide some money to get something like of how it is now, it was going to be more of like a, hey, looking for yeah. local businesses, use our service instead yeah. of Yelp. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And so, yeah. And so talking to Keenan, um, hey, I want to build like a Yelp for small businesses. Do you want to be involved? What do you think? And he said, yes. And he was very interested. And then the next day he messaged me and he was like, hey, you should talk to my buddy, Brett. Uh, he would be really interested in this. So I got connected with Brett and I, I guess Keenan gave me his phone number or we connected on Facebook or something, but we ended up meeting at Stove House. I think it was at, at Poor House on, on a Saturday and just uh, 
kind of, you know, went and met Brett for the first time, didn't know him and got a beer and, and, and we just started talking and like, I think I thought this will be like a 30 minute thing, like a 45 minute thing. And then it was like three hours later, <laughs> you know, it's like, we're telling each other like our like life stories and we kind of have similar, not similar backgrounds and like journey, but similar interest in things. And um, it was like a good fit. It was mm-hmm. like a really good, it like clicked. And Brett brought, Brett brought a lot into it that I had, that I had been thinking of at the time, what I was thinking through, it's like, people are looking for trust signals when they're shopping online, when they're using a platform like Yelp or Google. It's all about, it's the discoverability, finding a place, but also the trust. And they implement that with like the five-star rating system. So it's like quantitatively, you know, three is a different number from four, five, like stars. But qualitatively, what does three stars versus four stars really mean? Um, And there's like a lot of, you know, you can go watch the documentary and go read stuff about Yelp and their bad practices. <laughs> um, but it was like the insight there was like, I was seeing people on Facebook ask for, Hey, I just moved to town or I'm, I'll be in Huntsville, you know, for like a week, like where should I go eat? Or can anyone give me a recommendation of a roofing contractor? Yeah. So it's like people are looking for trust signals. And so Brett knew this whole world with his rocket fuel HSV, this whole world of like influencers, mm-hmm. like, like, all the foodies. Um, and so, yeah, so that would probably skew towards all positive stuff, but that's fine because the mission is to help small, small businesses. And, yeah. it, and if you're running a small business, the last thing you need is someone trashing yeah. business. A, a, a bad Yelp review. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, like even if you go into a business and you do have a bad experience, it's like, you know, maybe the owner was sick or yeah. like, maybe it was just like an, an, an off night. So there's like an asymmetrical power there of like you go post a bad review and like the impact that can have on a small business when it's like, that's a really small sample size anyways. So Brett had all, had all this experience about in the influencer space. Um, and so we were thinking through like, okay, like what if it's like trusted guides in like in, in a local community who could help, you know, not have a five star, but maybe it's just a recommendation, you know, trying to bring in that as like the source of like trust. And then it was like, let me keep talking to businesses. So I called Beezer. Um, I actually worked in sales for a while, so I, I love the whole outbound like sales process, mm-hmm. but um, I called Beezer and they were like, yeah, sure, you can talk to our director of, of communications, which was Abby. And so the phone call with Abby started as a sales call. It was like me pitching Abby on why Beezer should work with us mm-hmm. and join our, our, our platform. But then Abby, you know, starts talking through the, like through the call about like, you know, she's designing an app for Beezer or talking about the UX and like user stories and like the interface and building an app. And she's, you know, studying a master's program and this stuff. And at at some point in the conversation, I was just like, Abby, please don't, I don't know you, but please don't take this the wrong way. But like, what are you doing working there? Like you're talking to me about like user experience, app design. So did it click with you at the moment? You're like, did you see at that moment that she was going to be another addition to the team? Oh, or yeah. No. Like, yes. It, it was as soon yes. as like... Like, like there, was a, there was a shift in the conversation where I was like, this person <laughs> is very talented and is working very hard and they're trying to do these things in the context of the small business that may or may not be fully appreciated like they would in a different organization. I've been there before in, in, a, in a previous company, you know, thinking like a small business thinking about 
sort of like high level things that are may not that are like outside of the lane of what a small business owner thinks about or that's maybe that's not the highest priority and it was like i shifted the conversation to where instead of me pitching abby about why abusers should join it was like hey you should come work with me on this did did you abby at the at, during the conversation think like like this seems like a good fit for you at the time too or or, or were you still kind of like what like i i enjoy what i'm doing I'm, I'm i'm okay with what i'm doing i just want to finish school like what were you thinking during yeah, the conversation yeah. i mean my where my head was at for that was you know i'm super busy with grad school and full-time job um all the chaos of starting a, a new business which was beezer because they opened in january last year so they're still really new um, so my life was pretty crazy at that time, and I definitely did not think that that call with Chris was going to turn into <laughs> a kind of job offer type thing. Um, but what he was describing was so interesting to me. And um, when he offered to meet up, like come talk to me in person, yeah. and let's you know get some ideas out there, I said, yeah, why not? Yeah. You know, like, I mean, I'm, I'm not... Um, committing to leaving my job necessarily, no. but I'm really interested in this idea, and I think I have some ideas to contribute. So, so was this like fall of 2020? I guess like October-ish kind no, of. It was or earlier than that. I think it was like August. Or okay, June. so it was so it was pretty quickly after you get back from your trip. Yeah. You yes. talked to Brett in July. Yeah. Talked to Abby in August. So in the first three months of you having this idea, you kind of created this team already. Yeah. Yeah, so we, um, I think we did like a like a group text, and it was like, you know, here Brett, who I don't really know, and Abby, <laughs> who I also don't really know, but we kind of have this common vision. I think we met for the first time in person at Old Black Bear, because yep. yeah, you can sit outside. Yeah. And, um, Great outdoor space. Yeah, and I took my laptop and you know kind of showed them, you know, here's what the what the platform here's here here's the product that that I've built so far. But and did you have a name for this product or was it just like a um, bare website, kind of the the general bones? Was I calling yeah, it Bisley? Yeah, Because yeah. yeah. you already had the LLC at the time. Yeah, you didn't yeah. know what you were going to do with it. Yeah, so I yeah, so I actually bought the web domain. I'm like the world's worst. I have like 30 different domain names across hey, several I different mean, accounts. Um, I'm like the worst squatter. <laughs> but I bought Bisley.com, I think it was 2017. What, like what? Um, so at the time I was working at a small business in the construction industry and we had a big problem around timekeeping. It was like, I got put in the position of, hey, here's my timesheet to go plug it in. But the, but the people who were giving me their, their timesheets, it was like, here, I wrote my hours down on this napkin that's like stained with <laughs> like, you know, and then this other person would be like, oh, I texted it to you or oh, I sent an email. And I was like, and they, they had some very specific things around like job cost accounting. So they were running construction jobs. So if you're a, a project manager, you want to know how many hours and from who and at what labor rate are tagged against which job. So in 2017, you were, you, you kind of like, okay, I'll go and get this domain because it kind of fits with what you were doing with that. Right. And right. then four years, three years yeah. down the road, you're kind of like, oh. Bizly. Yeah, so I just kept it because it's a great domain yeah, name. Yeah, of course. Uh, B-I-Z-Z-L-Y.com. I actually also own B-I-Z-Z.L-Y, which is, a, that's a Libya domain, but it's a three-letter domain, so that one's very desirable. And um, so kind of did the timekeeping as like an early iteration mm -hmm. of like, hey, what can I build as a tech startup? Um, and that, that did not work <laughs> out. Uh, but I kept the domain name because I was like, this is a great name. In the future, I want to do something with it, yeah. and it just seemed to fit with this whole like Yelp for small businesses. So you you sit down at Black Bear, you're pitching them on this like 
they've already kind of invested their time into it. They all they all see the vision. They see what you're kind of doing. But this is the first time you're actually showing them some sort of product. Yes. With the backing of like, is this the first time y'all are seeing Bizly, or did he already talk to you about like what the name is Bizly, or did you just like, oh, like by the way, I'm thinking this is going to be called Bizly. No, uh, we knew the name already, but we hadn't seen the mock-up. He had talked a lot about it. You know, I have it already, but we yeah. hadn't seen this. So this is the first time we've ever seen the demo at Black Bear. Okay. So you show them this thing, and is it just like everyone's light bulbs go off? This is the best. This, this is it. This is it. Or or what kind of input were y'all giving to him with this product that he's able to show you at its first initial stage? Yeah, I mean, for me, I'm always thinking about stuff from the user perspective. So I got um, a graduate degree and UX at UAH that I just finished up. Um, and that was that's always kind of been a huge part of any job I've had is thinking about the product or service from the eyes of the end user. So um, when Chris started talking about the idea, um, my head goes to, okay, how can we make this into something that people will actually use? Yeah. You know, like how can we change that mental model of when you want to go write a review for um, a business, get them to not go to Yelp yeah. and go to us instead. Um, so ideas started flying around, and I think it was another one of those conversations where we probably all walked into it thinking it would be pretty quick, and <laughs> it was like a couple hours later. Three or four beers in. Oh, yeah. Man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what time is it? I got to go home. Yeah. Like, so you, so it's it's early, it's August maybe. Yep. Uh, you've pitched this idea to them. They've seen this first product. What was the next step that you took? Um, so we were all still working full-time jobs mm-hmm. at that point. Um, and so we were just sort of, it was still like, let's keep talking to businesses. Let's keep keep getting feedback. And I, I had learned that just from the last thing you can do is go write software. Um, and even today, like that is even like, if you're watching this podcast or you're listening and you want to do a tech startup, especially if you're a software engineer or you have coding ability, don't write code. Don't start with code. Start with talking to the, to the customers first. Do you think it helped that you already had some code back, like some sort of general there was the bones there originally before you kind um, of like had so like like it wasn't like you had to like you had some sort of mock-up but you also didn't have so much into it that you had to then backtrack yeah. to fix things yeah so it was helpful only from the perspective of here's an idea that i'm talking about yeah but it becomes more clear when you see it yeah uh because we actually didn't use any of that code like all of that got scrapped okay um yeah like that's that's another lesson that we've learned is <laughs> like you have to be there's a guy named named Dan Sullivan who was like the founder of a company called Crowdly, who I used to listen to back in like 2015. Um, he did a lot of sessions with the Harvard iLab, which is it's an innovation startup lab. And he always talks about, you know, don't fall in love with the button or you have to be prepared to throw the whole thing out. Like mm-hmm. you, you cannot fall in love with 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 the product, which is another way to say that is like be long on the vision, but short on the implementation or how you get there yeah and i think it's i mean it's important to like to to hear too i think it's like people are listening that they do want to do a startup like you were looking at the getting the input of these businesses and seeing what they want because you're able to create sort of a exactly a a game plan of okay like i want to make sure i include these things or like okay well this person this company mentions this well i don't think we should do that as a separate feature i think that should be a a grouped in feature with this other idea right so you're able to kind of go around and so and so kind of you're able to go around you're able to collect this in september you start working on the next sort of step yes so um i don't remember what date the podcasting happened but or what month that was but the whole jason thing yes um but prior to that 
we were just like, like we were doing texting each other and like zoom calls on the weekends or whatever. And at some point I had the idea, I was like, this is a crowded space. Like there's like Yelp and there's Google places. And then it's like, there's a bunch of apps in town and like all over the country. It's like, everybody has this idea of a discovery with like a map and some cards and like different iterations on that. I was like, this is really crowded. Like how do we differentiate ourselves here? And I was reading more and like seeing more about this whole like shop local movement and that there are people who are very considerate and very intentional in where they put their money in their local community. Like I would literally pay more money to try to support the small business than going to this chain. And so I had this idea that was like, and I remember because we were on a Zoom call and I was like, what do you guys think about this idea if you could subscribe to a small business? like an Amazon Prime, but for a small business. Or like you subscribe to Netflix, wouldn't it be great if you could subscribe to Northside Coffee Yeah, on a, on a monthly basis? And it was like, holy shit, that's a great idea. <laughs> and it just kind of clicked and it was like, that's very compelling, you know, because no one's really doing that. But it's also compelling from a business, from a business standpoint, because when it's a Groupon Google Places, Maps kind of search, that's more on the discovery aspect, which is like you're either new in a place or you're in a place and you're looking for somewhere to go maybe for like the first time. Um, but that kind of feels a little bit like the car thing where it's like there's not a five-year, yeah. yeah, it's not a repeatable problem. So it's like, okay, if you could subscribe to a business that's monthly recurring revenue, which I operated in a small business, uh, that's like the gold standard of any income for sure is if someone pays you money and it just comes in every month, especially in, in the hospitality industry where it can be very spiky. So it's like, if you could subscribe to a small business, like that's a great business model for us because we could pass the money through and we just have a take rate. And, um, so I sort of like put the idea out there and we were all like, yeah, that's actually a great idea. And I was like, guys, like, tell me if that's an awful idea, but <laughs> like, it, but it was like, no, that's a great idea. Just, don't just follow me. Like, please give me some input yeah, too. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and so like that was kind of like, we started calling it Patreon for small businesses. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, it went from Yelp for small businesses, which is like a really easy mental model to Patreon for small businesses, which is still, that's an easy mental model. If you know what Patreon is, what yeah. the problem that we ran into is like a lot of people don't very surprisingly. Yes. So then you have to fall back to, well, it's like, imagine that you could get a Costco membership or like a monthly, like a Netflix, you know, yeah. to your, to your favorite business. And everyone, do, everyone does those subscription services for like, it, yeah, streaming service. Yeah. It's, it's like a streaming service for small business or right. like a Patreon Perfect. for small yes. business. And so you kind of, you then kind of pivot this idea. And I mean, I guess kind of coming up, I don't know when the time frame was for it, but the, the, the Jason Cal Canis thing, yeah, uh, so, which is just, I mean, yeah. super, Super interesting, and I, I, I want to know everything okay, about this. So I'll tell you how that happened. Um, I'm a big fan, like I'm a fanboy of Jason Calacanis. Um, they say like never meet your heroes, but you know, <laughs> I've talked to him and he's, he's, he's great. Um, but I followed Jason for years, specifically on his podcast, This Week in Startups, because they were doing it several times a week and it's like high quality content. And a lot of, like, the tech industry, especially more of, like, the West Coast, East Coast startup, like, it's, there's, like, a common thing where it's, like, no one will tell you that your idea sucks because they want to be nice to you because people are nice. 
But then also they want to maintain the optionality to do something with you later. So it's like if, 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 if I'm an investor and you have an idea for an app and you're telling me about it and I'm thinking, wow, that idea sucks. I'm not going to tell you that because if I tell you that, it's going to make you mad and you're going to remember. And then the off chance that in the future I'm wrong and your idea is great and the market loves it yeah. and I want to invest, you're not going to talk no. to me. So it's like no one gives candid feedback. Yeah. In no doors are closed. There's exactly. always, always right. keep the right. door open. You just yeah. never know. So it's like, they won't tell you no. They'll say no for right now, but keep me in the loop. Uh, or that's an interesting idea. But Jason is like one of the few people uh, who will just give like super candid feedback. Um, you know, tweeting and, and like writing about it and mainly on, on the podcast. So like I had known that I wanted to do like a quote unquote tech startup. And this guy is like out there giving just, you know, like, you know, like, like giving great feedback and like, like telling you what really happens and like, yeah. here and here's what they want to tell you. And so we had this idea, right? Patreon for small businesses, Bizly. It's got a great name. Um, everybody tells us it's a great idea. And so Jason announces that they're doing a program called Founder University. And so they... They have done Founder University in the past, and pre-COVID, it was like, you sign up for it. It's a two-day thing where you fly to San Francisco, and they have, like, a conference room. But it's like a two-day class. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no equity. There's no investment. It's just learning. And it's like, you may have an idea for a business, or you might not, or you know that you want to do something. And so doing a tech company requires different muscles from like a brick and mortar. Like you have to change your mental model. So within two days, you know, we'll give you like a crash course on how do you validate ideas? How do you think about that to like grow your muscles? So that's the value from the person going to the class for them. It's all about deal flow. Cause it's like, they do something nice for you and they meet you early on in the hopes that if it does take off, you'll give them an opportunity yeah. to put money into it. So with COVID, um, everybody has gone full remote. Everything's done over Zoom now. So they did their founder university. They sort of remixed the product, and now it's it's going to be like a 12-week program, fully remote, with Zoom calls twice a week. Wow. And it's free. Um, it was actually $700, but if you attend all of the live sessions, because they were going to limit it to 100 places, and they had like you know thousands of people want to do it, so they wanted to make sure the ones doing it were actually serious and not taking up a spot for someone else. You pay the $700, you do all the work, do all the sessions, and at the end, you get a refund. So I was in Founder University. And, like, even if I didn't get a refund, it was still worth it. Because, yeah. like, the networking alone was just incredible. But all of the advice was just super tactical. So I'm doing Founder University. I'm probably four weeks in at this point. Um, and then I follow Jason on YouTube. So they started doing something really neat where they use a product called Restream. So like right now we're recording this podcast. You could use Restream where you could actually stream the session out live to YouTube and to Facebook and to other platforms. And so your fans can like watch it happen live. And as someone who's like a big fan of that podcast, you know, I've listened to like every episode. That's really cool because you can see all the behind the scenes of like, here's, here's the producer saying, let's try that again. Or (laughs) like, or, you know, try to take it from the top. Yeah. So I get the notification that they're that they're going live with the podcast. So I'm working my regular job, and I like to go listen to it. So I'm listening to them do the podcast recording on YouTube, and they do the they do the episode. And at the end, they're all just kind of talking. 
and they start talking about Founder University, their their program. So on YouTube, you can get in the chat. So I like people are talking to them in the chat, and they'll like read the responses and like talk to you back. So I I drop into the chat and I say something like, "Hey, I, I'm actually in Founder University," or like, "Don't forget about Founder University." And then Jason stops, and I'm I'm watching this happen. He like looks <laughs> at it and he goes, "Oh, Christopher Niblett." You're in Founder University, and I commented yeah, back, like, and I was like, "What's oh. happening?" <laughs> and I was like, "Yes," and he was like, "Oh, uh, that's cool." He was like, "Do you want to come on the podcast right now and talk to me about it and, and tell us about it?" And my heart rate <laughs> just instantly, you know, because I'm at like I'm at home. It's the middle of the day. I'm doing work stuff, so I'm like, "Okay, let me shut down my work computer. Let me go put on a shirt that looks half decent for yeah. like a for a webcam." So they send me the link, um, and I and I basically hop onto the stream. So here I am on a webcam talking to Jason Calacanis and his whole team, and he's just asking questions about you know like how do you like the program? How's Founder University going? Uh, is it valuable to you? You know, and then he's like, "What's your business? What are you doing?" And I was like, "Oh, we have uh, we're building Patreon for small businesses." So I didn't even tell him the name because the name is not important and so i knew what was going on in the moment on some level because he's looking for for deal flow yeah, for, of course. For, for other companies to put money into so when he asked what's your business i knew enough to know very concisely say it's patreon for small businesses which is very compelling yeah and then he goes oh that's a great idea uh you know because i told him like you can subscribe to a local taco place and get two dollar tacos all the time um, and he was like that's a great idea and then he starts asking questions like, you know, do you have co-founders? What's your background? So I'm like, yeah, I have three co-founders. Or I, there are, are three of us total, which when you're building a tech company or like building a startup, that's a really good sign. That's one of the indicators is can you recruit people to buy into yeah. the, the actual vision? Because like, like having it just your idea is right. great, but when yeah. you're able to make other people have the same idea as yes. you, it's like, okay, this, yeah. is, this, this is a value. This, there's value added. In right, this. like that starts to be indicator. That's a... That's a checkbox. Yeah. Like, is there something? So he's already really just like, okay, check. Yeah, so he's yeah. like checking yeah. boxes. <laughs> and I know this is happening. And then um, he's asked my my background, and I'm sure to drop in, you know, hey, I'm a software engineer, and I know Angular, which is a web development framework, and I'm, I'm using this other service as like a no-code backend to save time. Checkbox, checkbox, checkbox. <laughs> and so what caught me off guard, though, is he goes, well, that's super cool. He was like, how about this? He was like, how about... I put $25,000 into your company for 1%. one You go form a Delaware C Corporation. We'll wire you the money, and you can have me on, on your cap table. And I was like, yes, absolutely. <laughs> and so I hopped off the podcast, and I'm just like, this is a surreal moment. Yeah, because like you woke up that morning thinking, I'm just going to go to work, and then, yeah, okay, there's yeah. this podcast. Now I'm just pitching, pit, pitching someone that you like love yes. his stuff, your yes, idea. Like, and, they, and they have no idea at this, like... Yeah, no, yeah. Because like they don't follow, like, they didn't be like, oh, look, uh, Chris is on Jason... Cal wait, wait, Chris is on Jason Calcanus? Yeah. So um, I forget, I probably called my wife first because she was out doing something, and I called her, and it was just like a holy shit. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you... If no, we, you're good. We can curse, but... I called them and it was just like, okay, this just got real <laughs> because 25,000, not it's all paper money. It yeah. doesn't matter, but 25,000 for 1%. Uh, 
implies a two and a half million dollar valuation. So it's like, oh, did did is that what did we just become <laughs> paper millionaires? Like in the sake of like one conversation? Yeah, it's not like it's in your Robinhood account. So was this like was this like September October or when was this? This was probably November, October, yeah. maybe early November. Early November like. sounds right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and yeah, and so I call them and tell them, and I mean, what what was your reaction? I mean, to be totally transparent, I had no idea who this guy was. Yeah, I've you're like, really oh, been. someone just gypped you. Like, come on, yeah, like, I mean, twenty five thousand, like, good I, idea. I, I at that point trusted Chris enough to know that it's like a big thing. Yeah. he's all excited about it, so I'm excited about it too <laughs> for him. But I had no idea who Jason yeah. Calacanis was. I've never been involved in the entrepreneurial world or tech yeah. startup world. Um, but when he tells us like, yeah, so now we have a valuation of two and a half million dollars for this company that I'm like, wait, wait, like, I can understand that. <laughs> this is like, month, <laughs> this is month three. Uh, we've right. been doing this together for, I mean, since yeah. August really. Right. Yeah. Um, the, the team was formed. So like you're three months in and you're like, yeah, two and a half million. Yeah. Yeah. So it was like a very real, like, okay, this is actually a real idea. This yeah. isn't just us like casually chatting about this <laughs> cool thing we might do one day. It's like. Oh, no, <laughs> no, now, now we're doing this. <laughs> so w w what was your thoughts to, of, of it, Brett? So that day I was actually at work. So I worked in a clear environment, can't have our phones or anything. You know, I walk out at three o'clock and get to the car, look at the phone. And I was like, oh, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, okay, I guess we're doing this. But yeah, it was, we hadn't been working on it that long. I, I expected it would take a year oh, or two yeah, to get I mean, to that point, like, right? right? Like, yeah. especially like, I don't know, we, we talked about it a little bit off, off air, just like the tech startup scene in Huntsville isn't really... There's no, like, and you even mentioned it, there's, like, there's a lot of West Coast, a lot of East Coast right. tech startups, but Huntsville is not really a tech startup thing. There's a lot of right. smart people here in town that could easily do well, a tech startup if they wanted to. I have theories about that. <laughs> and the th so to me, um, talking to a buddy of mine who's at the I2C who has a marketing company, Carl is his name. Carl and I talking, like, kind of my theory there is, like, Silicon Valley is now known as a, as a tech company, but I think back in the 50s and 60s it was known as a defense sector like it's kind of the same right so it's like huntsville looks a lot like san francisco or looks a lot like silicon valley in the 50s or or the 60s and that you have a lot of really smart people with all, with all the right skills but they're all working on government projects yeah and so huntsville you know i'm from an hour south of here in hayden alabama you move here and it's like a different world <laughs> on any given street it's engineer 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 uh you know transplants from all over the country from from all over the world so Maybe we're probably comment sold is like the like the earliest version, but I definitely think we're in like that early wave of, of yeah for sure. I hate to not to use the word trickle down, but it's like an after effect of you have a lot of smart people working on on government contracts, and it's like people start to organize and they have the capital and like yeah. the time and the expertise to try to pursue other things. Yeah. So, so you you all get this. Like he tells you this. Okay, we we have a two two and a half million dollar valuation. We just got twenty five thousand. You're all, I mean, I mean, I'm in shock just hearing the story right. and I wasn't even a part of it. Yes. Uh, so what was the next sort of thing that kind of goes right. about and happens? So a lot of things happened at once. Um, it was a really kind of an uncertain time, actually. So in a lot of ways, when that happens, of course, that is an all-star moment. Oh, also because Jason's staff, they have several different media properties. They've got This Week in Startups. They've got The Launch. They've got The Founder University. He has so many, you know, probably hundreds of thousands of followers on his personal account. What happens is for the podcast, because this is what they do, they clip that moment 
and they turn it into sound bites. Yeah, and it's, it's on every and it's, single little And it's on every of- platform. <laughs> it's on Twitter. It's on LinkedIn. So you're everywhere. It's on TikTok. It's out okay. It's on TikTok. So, and they linked back to me, and they linked back to, my, to our, our website. And so for like 72 hours, my phone is just nonstop notifications, ding, 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 <laughs> ding, 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 ding. I mean, just crazy. Um, so that was really intense and like really stressful. And so it, it went from like, we think this is a good idea to like, wow, this might actually be like a really good idea. Yeah. Like there's some, that's market validation to some degree. But I knew enough to know, I started freaking out because I knew enough to know that if they're putting money into this, as part of their due diligence, it's like the expectation is that you're going to be good stewards of our capital and you're going to work on this and you're, you're going to make a return. And what's implied there, but also required, is that you work on this full time. Yeah. So $25,000 is a lot of money, but it's really not a lot of money in context of a business, especially when you have three people you know, who, who all require salaries yeah, and who are all had full-time jobs. We all had full-time jobs and right. And so it's not like we're, you know, 19 years old and don't have kids and you can, you know, eat off like, you know, eat cheaply. And, you know, I have a mortgage and a three-year-old and obligations and things, and they're similar. And so talking to launch, that's Jason's group, talking to, to the launch people, um, we were going through the process of like talking about the terms and they actually, I got on a call with um, their program manager and like one of the analysts on a Zoom call and kind of showing them what, what we had. And um, they were like, you know, and then, and then after the call, they, they sent me an email and they're like, hey, we actually want to make that $100,000. So they went from 25K to 100K, uh, lower valuation, but that's fine. Yeah. Um, and also part of their launch accelerator. So if you follow tech, like the tech scene at all, you know about an organization called Y Combinator. Y Combinator, uh, started by Paul Graham, is a is like the most famous tech accelerator in the world. They are responsible for companies like Reddit and Airbnb and a whole a whole bunch of others. Um, and so Jason is like, there's like there's like tier one of like tech accelerators, Y Combinator's in there, so is Launch Accelerator. Wow. And there's a lot of, like, you typically see regional ones, too. Yeah. Like, like, I don't know if there are any in in, in Huntsville, but it's kind of like minor league versus, versus the major leagues. And so this is kind of like we're getting drafted by an NFL team, <laughs> and it's like an all-in thing. Yeah. Um, and so they were like, yeah, we'll give you 100000 or purchase, you know, some amount of your company for $100,000, but we want you to come to our launch accelerator, which pre-COVID was an in-person, so we three would have to move to San Francisco, you know, and go live. And, which is not something that y'all really wanted to do. Not something that we really wanted to do, <laughs> which would not have been possible. But yeah. because of COVID, they had been running the batches, you know, and it, it's like 17 weeks or roughly that. It's all remote. So we got in. So now it's it's not 25000 It's now 100000 and welcome to the accelerator. And it was, you know, there, there was a lot of uncertainty, especially for Brett, because it was like, okay, that means we have to quit our jobs. Yeah. And like, you know, getting these contractor jobs, like these are very desirable jobs yeah. that have you know, very, like you've kind of created a, 
uh, not an expectation, but like you're living the way you live your life yes. is based on the kind of job that you are. So absolutely. Have. And then to go from this yeah. to now saying, okay, not that we're unemployed, but we're an entrepreneur that is not really like, it's not an engineer salary. It's right. not, it's, it's very, you know, up in the air. I mean, let's call it like it is these government jobs and I've worked them and Brett and Brett's worked them and anybody listening that's worked of them. These tend to be very cushy jobs. Yeah. Like, but you, that's, you stay until you retire and then, yes. you, and then, and yeah. then probably when you retire, that's when you do a tech startup. Right. But, <laughs> but that's the point though, is that the government looks at that and they're like, we want to pay people really well because these are jobs that are very challenging. And yeah. so we want the best people and we want them to stay. And so now it's like, okay, we have a hundred thousand dollars, which again is a lot of money. Mm hmm. But in context of a business, it's not a lot of no. money. And this is like January of 21? Yeah. So this okay. is last month. Last month. Okay. Or, or oh. no. no. Literally. A year ago. Yeah. So this is last December, like January or December 2021. Okay. So we are in the, we are in the accelerator right now. Okay. Like we're only in like week six. Wow. So all this like just happened at the end of December, start of this January last month. Wow. So we're in it right now. Um. And basically, we all had a series of, of meetings at Beezer where we sort of like talk through in person like, okay, here's the, here, like, and I was just fully transparent. I was like, here's how much money I make from my regular job. Yeah. Here's what I think my cost of living is. I'm willing to literally, you know, like cut my salary in half or more to come work for this and like do this. And we all kind of had to think through like, okay, what are the actual steps to go form the company to get health insurance, yeah. mm -hmm. you know, to actually make this like a real thing. And it was just, and that was a very, very stressful, oh, yeah. you know, cause that's like all of a sudden, you know, you think your career is one thing and now you have to talk or yeah, think very like seriously about the trajectory of y'all's careers were going this way. I mean, y'all were in very, like you said, y'all were in safe jobs. You just finished your master's. You're kind of just like, okay, like what's, and then this happens. Right. So I'm guessing you, all have had to leave your jobs. Yep. yep. And so you're all full-time into Bizly. Well, that's interesting. I mean, there's probably a lot to be said for them about the calculus they were doing. About, yeah. Here's this person that I barely know. Yeah. And there's so this person like, in California yeah. giving us a bunch of money. Because, like, like y'all haven't been known each other for very long. Right. And then he's like, well, but by the way, I know we just met, but you have to quit your job. What, did, what were y'all's thoughts on it? I mean, it is scary. Like you said, you just meet each other. Now all of a sudden, oh, I got to leave this job. And for me, <laughs> this is like my third career I'm on software engineering. So I've only been doing this space for five years or so. Um, so for me, I'm like, man, this is another big change in life. I thought I was done. And I'm, you know, I was currently in graduate school too. I still am. So it's, it's a lot to juggle, right? And uh, my wife also, she started school, so she's driving to Wallace State about an hour and a half every day. She doesn't get home till late, so all the household stuff's on me as well. And so I was like, wow, this is a lot to swallow. But that, that was kind of when I, you know, we were talking and, okay, if I'm going to do this, we got to figure out the benefits because my wife was in an unfortunate car accident a little over two years ago, so she still requires pretty extensive care. And I said, I can't let that drop, so what can we do? And I remember sitting at Beezer in the top conference room area, you know, <laughs> and we were talking, going through all the numbers, and, and me and Chris looking, because like, the thing about business insurance, you have to at least have two people on the same policy in order to get it, and um, luckily, 
or I shouldn't say luckily, but one positive effect of my wife's car accident was I knew a lot about the health insurance industry and knew how to navigate that. So me and Chris are going on the numbers and we're like, yeah, we, we think we can do this. Yeah. And what was crazy is our, our new brand new company that we found out we need health insurance through Bouglas Pre-Sealed, the same exact stuff we got through our employer, probably even better, you know? Yeah, no, that was, you know, cause I didn't like, I had worked doing the dime keeping and stuff in a previous company, but I had, I had, I didn't know, like, yeah. I mean, what does health insurance cost? Yeah, I mean, there, there's so many different hats right. you wear when you start a company yeah. from the ground up. And, like, you're trying to, like, there's, there's, the, the map is, like, here's where y'all are, and then the rest of the map's empty. And you're, like, yeah. good luck. Yeah, no, yeah. Like, just find it, figure it out yourself. Like, you might go this way, but this might be the wrong way. But you're not going to know until you get halfway down. Yeah, oh, well, 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 back it up. Everyone turn back around, and then go, go, yeah. go this way. So you're. Well, and do it in a quick enough cycle before you run out of capital. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so you're navigating these, like, you know, you're holding three or four different hats and trying right. to navigate all this. What was your thoughts? I mean, you just finished grad grad school yeah. and you're kind of then now, okay, by the way, you have like your, so how, what was going through your head? Yeah. It was a funny time for me um, because the last little bit of grad school was insane. You know, lots of finals and late nights and still juggling a full-time job and household stuff and, um, so getting the news of like, okay, now it's time to consider quitting your job. And like, <laughs> it's just a whole other thing to think about, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, my brain is like so overloaded right yeah. now. And, um, I mean, I was definitely excited for sure. First and foremost, excited about the idea, overwhelmed. Um, and I guess I, I kind of knew to some extent that I wouldn't always work at Beezer. Yeah. I was very happy there. Yeah. Um, I didn't have any like need to get out and go to the next thing. Like, yeah. I was kind of pioneering like UX for restaurants, which yeah. was a fun little project to work on. Um, but this whole idea just sounded a lot more compelling. <laughs> and just the idea of being part of something that I can really believe in and building it from the ground up um, is really just an, an offer I could not say no to. Do you, do you think that for all y'all, do you think that the um – idea of the unknown excites you and kind of makes you willing to do the things that are really uncomfortable. Oh yeah. Like, I mean, no, the, the, the yeah. whole, the whole idea of like, it's completely unknown, but that's sometimes 95% of the fun. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, me personally, it's like, like Brett talked earlier about working in a, a skiff as it's called, you know, it's kind of like this room. It's like you work on certain government projects and you go into a room with no windows Yeah, and you, and you have to leave your phone outside and it's like, you know, maybe even the internet access isn't isn't in the room, and it's just like it's kind of soul sucking. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of very important work that happens in those rooms, for sure. Definitely, and, and we have some very competent people doing it. But my personality, like, that's not the best fit for me. Yeah, like I am very much like I want to go take some risk. It needs to be calculated risk, but I want to go take some risk because I want to build something. You know, like I want to do something either for myself or like as a team, but have a real material impact in like the decision, like you're, you're driving the bus, the decisions you make influence yeah. where the bus goes for sure. Versus if you're just riding in the bus, it doesn't matter if you hit the seats or like, definitely. What? Yeah. And so in this moment it was like, Hey, the bus is here. Yeah. We're, we're like, all driving. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the bus is here 30 minutes early uh, or like a year early. Uh, are you on or off? Yeah. <laughs> so, so, th- so in, I mean, really in November, this past November, you all kind of quit, get ready to kind of exit your jobs first of the year. Yep. Um, you have moved and actually have an office space over at the I2C. Yep. Yeah. Um, and you, uh, is that community at the I2C kind of helping you? Like you said, it's not that 
um, blank walls like we're sitting in right now. Right. It's it's very. I mean, I've been over there. I, I, I helped with their studio and they got it up over there. The podcast studio, like okay. their, their space is incredible. Do you think that space kind of helps even in those tough days when you're going? You're like. This is this is a lot. This is a lot of yeah. stuff that we're having to do. But like having a space that is somewhat inviting. I mean, it's not like uh, bare walls, and you're able to kind of be creative. Do you think that space helps kind of your creativity flourish? I do. But my whole thing is like I heard someone say uh, when they're actually it might have been Jason. He makes the <laughs> argument of like in the remote world, which, which is great because you know because we can hire people who work all over the world. Yeah. But there's something about, like, when you think about the iPhone, like these products and services that are, like, zero to one, that are category creating, not a 10x better, but, like, unlock whole new categories. These types of products, it's like, when you think about the iPhone, do you think the iPhone could have been built by a fully remote team? Yeah. And it's like, there's something about that magic of being in person. Yeah. Because I personally don't think the iPhone could have been built by a fully distributed team. I think it had to happen in, in a physical space. And so I don't pretend that we're building something as, you know, <laughs> game-changing as the iPhone. But when you have an early company, when you're trying to figure things out, I think there's definitely a competitive advantage and a magic that comes with being in a space. Um, so I like that aspect of it. Yeah, but. Yeah, yeah, no, I totally agree because it's uh, – it's one thing to work from, you know, remotely at home and it's great. You can have your own coffee, your own food. You don't <laughs> have to leave, you know, to take a break here and there. But when you go somewhere and you have to work, you put on a different hat, you know, yeah. you have to be professional. You're there. So you get in the mindset of, you know, we're here to work together and, uh, you know, we, we live in Huntsville all together. So why not? You know? Yeah. And then, uh, yeah. So then the I2C opportunity came up and, uh, and it's great. Cause one of our board members, Toby, he works yeah. at uh, Watts AI, his own startup, okay. three, three doors down from us. So, Every time we need something, we go knock on the door. Hey, Toby, what's going yeah. on? You know, what do you think about this? And it's great being around like-minded people in that same hallway, the same building, because it's everyone's uh, very encouraging. Everyone had a can-do attitude. Yeah. It's not and everyone's oh, been in, yeah. not maybe the same position, but a similar position. Exactly. So, and it, 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 it helps definitely kind of having that. And like I said, the separation is huge. Yeah. I mean, I think that especially when you're starting something that you're, like you said, you're driving the bus, like it's your thing. Having that separation of home and work even if you're still doing work at home, but having that like, okay, when I go here, as much of my, you know, day, home life is kind of on pause while I'm able to invest. But then when I leave, it's kind of, I flip that switch, not all the way off. You don't, right. I mean, it's hard to flip it all the way off, but you're kind of halfway down. Like the lights may be still on a little bit, but you're, you're, you're on your way to kind of relaxation when you get home right. and kind of having that separation is huge, huge for, I mean, anybody really, I think. So you you get into the I two you get into the I two C you've you've quit your jobs you're going completely all in on Bisley, and you're in this ex accelerated this program right gosh uh, you're in this program and you're going through this program and you're kind of Jason Calcanis is and just investing all into it right what does a day in the life look like for what you are doing now and how has how do you navigate that especially since it is completely unknown to y'all and you've just kind of started this yeah. I wake up every morning at 5 a.m. and drink only water uh, and do yoga and go for a light stretch. Um, I'm completely lying. I'm like joking. <laughs> like, like, like that's the thing. Like, I was like, wait, what? Yeah, yeah I was like, <laughs> like it, it, all of them are like, I have a, wow, I, I, I have a perfect yeah. schedule. I pop out of bed instantly <laughs> at 5 a.m. and have this perfect routine. Yes. No, it's, uh, it's chaos. Yeah. Um, and um, that's sort of the, that's sort of the challenge is like, Sort of the challenge for what we're doing for, for any tech startup is that you have certain key assumptions, but then your job is to go, how do you prove those wrong? Yeah. 
Like, how do you prove those assumptions wrong because you're betting the farm on them? Um, and so it's all about, there's all this noise, like all this noise in the world and in the market. And it's like, how do you find signal? Like, how do you, how do you look at this and how do you plot points so that you actually find signal in the noise? Um, so that's like the, pro- like that's the super high level process of what we're going through. And that can mean literally like on Friday, we're talking about one thing or working on one thing. And then Monday, that's, oh, whole that's, different thing. that's no longer relevant. Yeah. And I had been, I had been prepared. Like I knew going into it from what I had studied about startups, that that's how it works. Yeah. And from my personal experience, like doing the other things, I don't know. I'd be curious to hear Abby <laughs> and Brett, like coming from a more stable environment, yeah. like what is that experience like when it's like, Hey, we're act- I know that we just spent an, an hour walking in that direction, but we actually have to turn around and go back. Yeah. Like, because, I mean, it sounds like you like you kind of maybe always knew that you would do some sort of entrepreneurial tech, some sort of, you know, company from the ground up. You've right. done it before. You kind of want to do it. It's always kind of been your passion. But it sounds like for y'all, it never really, maybe it crossed your mind, but it wasn't necessarily a, I've been invested in this. I've learned about this. I've been studying this for a very good amount of my life. Like, I've been, I love this. I'm soaking it up. So for you, it was completely different. How has, how has that kind of your... How is your mind wrapped around what you do on a daily basis? Um, it's, yeah, it's kind of weird. Um, grad school is kind of similar. You know, it's this, like, crazy, like, lots of work, different um, classes and projects and things. Um, and then working in a, a brand-new restaurant, you also get a little taste of that because mm-hmm. you're like, okay, we're going we're gonna to work on this thing, and then <laughs> next meeting, next week, scrap that like no we don't have time for that anymore we've got to work on this now and so there's a lot of change of pace kind of involved in the line of work that I'm used to Um, but so I guess there's a little bit of similarity there but um, I I think the biggest shock for for me is just focusing solely on the the UX stuff you know like I've I've loved UX for a long time even before I knew it was a thing Mm -hmm. Um, that's something I've always kind of tried to achieve in all my past positions um and generally it's just been a small part of what (laughs) I do and I started kind of building it up a little bit more at Beezer and it started working but I also had to wear a lot of different hats there and so it was just a small piece of my job so now I just finished grad school um and just came out of the really the first job where I'm exploring UX Mm -hmm. and now tossed it (laughs) full-time UX yeah um, so it's been, it's been really fun. Um, definitely challenging. Yeah. Um, and the environment's kind of different cause mm-hmm. you know, you've been to Beezer and it's loud and yeah. chaotic and lots of people. Um, I2C is not that. It no, is it's, it's calm. work. Very quiet. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah, it's kind of like you come here to work and you create not right. like, there's not as many distractions, you right. know? Yeah. Which is nice. Yes. I mean, especially for the three of us, like putting our heads together and just getting to work on stuff. So. Mm-hmm. What about for you? Yeah, for me, it's been a welcome change. I, I you know, worked in government environments my whole life, so working kind of in the private sector for the first time ever, and I knew what I was getting into because my family in Savannah, they own a furniture store that turned into a multi-use facility, sort of similar to Low Mill here. And so I knew how hard it was to start your own business and you know how much work was really required in the old saying, you know, you're going to work more for yourself than anybody else is 100% true. But what they don't tell you is it's a lot more fun to work for yourself. <laughs> 
So it, it kind of keeps you motivated. And, and the thing I love about it, it is challenging. We go in in the morning and, you know, we could get a phone call and that changes the whole course of the day, you yeah. know, so you never know what you're going to yeah. walk into. It, I think that's kind of the whole, almost the motto of Bisley is like, it only takes one moment to completely change what you're doing. Right. And like, yeah. that's what it was for you. Like when you got on that, on the, on the live YouTube, you did not think you were going to get 25,000. Yeah. You did not that's think that two weeks later, you'd get a hundred thousand. You didn't think in two months you were going to be quitting your job. And you didn't think in the first of uh, 2022, you'd be all together working at I2C as in a tech startup, right? Like it takes one phone call in one moment and it's just always being ready for the moments, but not knowing when the moments are going to come. Yes. And it's a complete, like it's, I mean, I like, I, I, that's how you describe luck. (laughs) Luck is like, uh, it's a mix between opportunity and preparation yeah because i always ask the question i always ask like how much of y'all success and i mean i kind of want everyone's input like how much of y'all success thus far in this short time i mean from just meeting a few months prior to now doing this do you contribute to being in the right place at the right time and how much do you contribute to your hard work um i think maybe it's 50 50 okay because yeah like uh, i yeah i mean it's the preparation but that's not enough yeah it's the preparation. There has to be an opportunity, a window, an opening in the market or with the right people so you can actually, and then you've got to have the resources to go out and actually execute yeah. and actually do something. Um, I'd say it's a 50-50 split for me. Yeah, I was going to say probably about the same for me. Um, I've always been a very hard worker. I've had a job since I was 16 and just have always had to work. Um, so that's always been a constant for me. Moving to Huntsville was not something that I planned. Um, I never honestly <laughs> Glad I'm here. <laughs> any further south than Tennessee. I wanted to go somewhere glamorous, like yeah. Europe or yeah, whatever. And, uh, Huntsville. Um, yeah. yeah, but then my husband <laughs> got a job um, as an archaeologist here. Um, so we moved, and I was, just, it was mildly against my will. I was yeah. excited for the change, but... Um, and I just, at, at that time when we left Knoxville, I was a bartender. So I, um, I thought, okay, I'll pick up bartending again yeah and then kind of quickly realize like you know I have this opportunity to develop myself and every new city I think about moving to I'd look through the grad programs that mm-hmm. they offered at whatever university um, and then I stumbled on UX as a <laughs> grad program at UAH and reading about that that was probably the first time that I knew that that was an actual field yeah, like I, it, it was something I had tried to articulate for a really long time. Like, this is what I want to do, but not really knowing the name of what this is. Right, like, what yeah. is this? Is yeah. it, well, so, I, I want to do this and this. You're like, you know, it's kind of a, it's kind of UX. Have yeah, you heard of that? Exactly. Yeah. So that just clicked for me, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is exactly what I've been wanting to do. I didn't know this was a thing. <laughs> this is awesome. So I applied, and um, immediately got accepted, um, which was great. I didn't have to take the GRE, <laughs> which was something that was holding me yeah. back from grad school for a while. Um, thanks, COVID. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, I enrolled in, um, in the program at UAH and, uh, then I started working at Beezer. They poached me from my previous bartending gig, um, because they really liked the UX stuff that I was studying and working at Beezer. That's how I got connected with Chris. Yeah. And then we poached um, you from Beezer. Yeah. So, um, it's yeah, all these like so, small little opportunities that like, I think at the right. moment you, you don't, you don't know what the next one is, but by putting your hard work into each moment you have given, then the next opportunity just kind of, everything right. seems just to fall in line. Almost. Exactly. Like I could have chosen to just ride out the bartending <laughs> thing and just not really 
try for anything bigger or better, um, which I probably would have been content with. But um, taking that step to like better myself and learn something new definitely led me to meeting these guys. But of course, if I did that in a different state or city, then wouldn't have met them either. Yeah. <laughs> so definitely like a 50-50 split there. Yeah. What's your thoughts on like the six, you, you, the success you've been able to have and being in the right place at the right time? Yeah, or your I hard totally work? agree. 50-50 split because you have to look at it. If, if I had never dipped my toe in the software world, I would have never ended up in Huntsville because yeah. when I was in Tampa, you know, I was completely fine being an Intel analyst working there. Um, but, you know, it just you kind of when I went into that, that field, I, I put my resume out there. I don't really... And I don't think I'm going to get any hits. And all of a sudden, it was I was looking at these acquisitions for jobs. You know, 90% of them were coming from Huntsville. Like and I was like, Huntsville, That's, Alabama. Yeah, and it, yeah. Even being from Glamorous. Yeah, even being from Georgia originally, I never thought of moving, you know, one state over. Yeah. And that never occurred to me. I mean, I could see myself moving to Atlanta or something, you know, yeah. but never, never, to, I never even been to Alabama, in fact. And, uh, <laughs> so then you get here and you just get linked up in the same community, same like minded people. Uh, people, you know, really don't have an ego on their shoulder yet. So everyone's willing to help you and show you yeah. things. And, and I think it's because, like, I mean, Huntsville is, I don't, I wouldn't say that we're new to small businesses, but definitely in the last few years has small businesses become a way bigger of an impact and like a, a, a priority in people's lives. Right. And I think with the timing of what you're doing, like you said, I mean, the timing is a lot of, a lot of it, you know, it's right. 50% of it. But unless you would have had the the know-how and the skills for your prior jobs that y'all have had and the hard work you've been able to put in with those, Bisley wouldn't have been a thing. Right. And then with the small businesses growing in Huntsville, Bisley just kind of almost like plants itself and like, hey, here's here here we are and here's how Huntsville's kind of almost grown around it and kind of is continuing yeah. to grow. Yeah, and another thing about the timing is, you know, we just came out of a or are still coming out of a two year period where we've seen a lot of small businesses we love have to close. Yeah. Which is COVID so, yeah, it's so insane. hard. And so that Edo is, and Madison. Yeah, yeah. There, every week. Were, there were a lot in Chattanooga that I loved who had to close down. Um, so super sad, but I think that that's another really strong point for Bisley to come in and, and give small businesses a way to, you know, survive yeah. times like this. Um, and then also the users are, you know, ready to do something about these small businesses having to close. So, so, so we talked a little bit about it earlier, and I kind of want to bring it back up so we can kind of, you know, kind of, sum up what i mean people won't be listening to the whole thing like the story is incredible but what what is busily more and like what the opening statement i mean we talked about a little bit about personalizing that patreon for small businesses but now you've kind of started to pivot can you yeah. tell me a little bit about what that pivot looks yeah, like so what we figured out and this yeah so my theory here is that this is like a working hypothesis i guess <laughs> when you say patreon for small businesses like we're like oh that sounds really interesting like that's a great idea right and maybe sort of the asterisk there is like for someone else. Or I could totally see my friend doing that, but I would never do that. Yeah. And it's like that coupled with like people saying like, that's a great idea because people just by default are nice. So it's like those were sort of like the social validation, like the data points that we picked up on to like build the idea. I mean, even Jason himself, when I told him what it was, Patreon for small businesses, his eyes just like lit up. Yeah. Um, so what we're finding, though, is that um, it's risky. There's a certain degree of risk there that, that, that we did not fully appreciate first, and that is framing it as just Patreon for small businesses. That implies a couple of things, and those are like we don't have direct access to our paying customer. Mm -hmm. 
The paying customer is the small business's customer. So what that means is the only way to acquire those customers is through the small business's channels, whether that's uh, their so social media channels and what they may or may not do online, and then in-store marketing material. And then you also have a dependency on the store staff you know, to actually go out and actually promote and understand. So it's like there's a lot of degrees of separation between us and getting dollars to come mm -hmm. in. And we set it up in such a way that when the money does come in, we only keep a very small portion, much like a Patreon. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of risk there. And you're also having to change consumer behavior to some point because it's like they know that they can subscribe to Netflix, but there is a value. Like there is a utility there. Like, hey, that that's the utility is like on Disney Plus, you have all, all these awesome things to go watch. Yeah. When you subscribe to your favorite local coffee spot or your local favorite restaurant, it's like, the thought process from what we had seen or what I had seen personally was that I thought it was a more of an altruism thing. It's more like I'm going to subscribe to this small business on a monthly basis for nine bucks a month because I want to see them win mm -hmm. and I want to see them succeed. And then it just so happens that I'll get certain perks and things as a return. Right. And so that's a really good feel good story. Like that sounds great, doesn't it? But in reality, what we've seen is like people say that they'll do that, but they might not necessarily do that. Yeah. And to be clear, like we still think that's a viable model. Mm -hmm. But what we're pivoting to now is is more of a decoupling from that to get closer to our customer or rather to move our customer back in 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 the process. So like the core value is all about or like the core idea of Bizly is all about you're a small business or you're any business and what's valuable to your business is a community is you have a group an audience of, of loyal customers, loyal fans, followers. And so it's about building tools to help you monetize or tap into that community in ways that you had not thought of previously. So the problem with that is small businesses. Um, there are certain degrees of, we'll say it's a level of, of understanding of that, opportunity you go talk to one small business and when you're pitching them on this platform you know you've never thought about this before like your business is you sell coffee or you sell food or you sell some some widget and that's all you think about your whole world is around how do i move more widgets and now we have to convince you hey we want you to keep doing that but we also want you to adopt this whole new top line revenue thing which is monthly subscriptions which you could arguably do without us, but here's why you should do it. Mm -hmm. And second thing is choose us as your technology partner. And so all of that risk and also back to the altruism thing, it's like we wanted people to like not necessarily do the math. It's like when you subscribe to like, if you're, I'm not in a country club, but if you're in a country club or Patreon, like you're a, a podcaster, right? Do you have any people I, that I have, I have a Patreon and I've, I've had one. I don't, I don't okay, think I have anybody. Do you personally, do you pay like, mm -mm. okay. So if you do, you can imagine that that is not a financial arrangement, mm -hmm. right? Like no one's going to give you $9 a month because it's, because they get some kind of a utility yeah. or it's, or like it, it's more of like a feel good thing, mm -hmm. but there's something about, and so we were like, the more that we can position it towards that and less around Groupon, we, we basically don't want people doing the math yeah. because it's like, that's not in the spirit of what we're trying to do. 
But what we figured out is that people do the math. <laughs> and even more than like doing the math of like, will I go there X times to save Y money on like Z yeah. discount or whatever. It's like, we've also figured out there's, there's a social component. It's like, well, I subscribe to this business. Not only am I doing the math, is it a good deal? Am I going to go there enough with the people? Because eating out, going to a restaurant is a social thing. Yeah. So it's like, are my friends going to do this? Well, mm -hmm. they're not doing it. So I'm not yeah. going to do it. So that being said, there are businesses out there that brick and mortar small businesses where having a paying community is very much a thing. Mm -hmm. Like wine shops, for instance. It's very common for wine shops to have a wine club yeah. where people pay an annual membership or a monthly membership and also breweries. Breweries will typically do like a mug club. And so what we see though, is that that's just one segment or that that's one piece of the market. There are other There are other markets that are also very compelling like uh, content creators. Like we just talked about Patreon. Like you are a content creator. You're making a, a podcast. There are folks who make YouTube videos and post to Instagram and, and also do the podcast and they have an audience, they have a following. And so there are also, um, there are other tech startups. So like there's a company, uh, it's a tech startup that went through the launch accelerator prior to us. They're called Soul Savvy. And I love this so much because this is the best illustration of the, mo of the most defensible thing you can build in business is a community. That's always the answer for when you're pitching a business and someone's like, well, that's a great idea, but what if Google does that? What if Facebook builds <laughs> that? Well, the answer is I have a community. Yeah. I have a following. They can't take the community. Um, so there's a company called Soul Savvy, which is literally a Slack group. Slack is an internal communication tool. It's like Microsoft Teams. Uh, it's a great internal communication tool. It's an email replacement. West and East Coast, everybody uses it. So Soul Savvy is a Slack group that people pay like $300 a year to be in just to talk about sneakers, about shoes, because there's a community, there's a following around sneakers. Yeah. And so that is like, like Soul Savvy doesn't have their own platform. They don't have their own technology. They didn't write any code. That is like the best, like the best example of building a community is the most defensible thing you can build. Technology be damned. Like yeah. no, one, no one cares about the actual code, about the product. It's all about access like to the group. And so... What, and so Slack is a great tool. We use it as, as an internal communication tool. And what you see is that organizations like Soul Savvy or someone like a brewery or like a Instagrammer or like a podcaster or otherwise a content creator, if they want to be closer to their community, it's very common that they'll either set up a Slack group, a Slack instance, which is most of the companies tend to do that, or a Discord server. Mm-hmm. And that's probably more around like like the gamers or like like yeah. like the live streamers, and that's it. Um, there's not a lot in the middle, and so Slack is a very polished, very nice product, but it is not necessarily set up for communities at scale. And that is evidenced by the fact that I have seen several Slack groups for communities that will have five, ten, fifteen thousand people in them. You know, just large amounts of people, yeah. but they're unpaid. And the reason that it's a it's a free Slack Slack plan is because if you're the organization and you want to pay for the premium features, you have to pay per seat. Twelve ninety nine times ten thousand. <laughs> it better be very compelling, you know, for it to make sense. Soul Savvy figured that out. That that's why Soul Savvy is so expensive is, is because you're paying for the annual membership. Yeah, you're paying for the seat and right. the and the community. Right. Discord doesn't necessarily have that problem. Discord has 
in my opinion, Discord is a great product, but it's more targeted towards like the youth, if you yeah. will, or like or like the gamers. So what we're building is we are pivoting, as they say. We are building a platform for content creators, for small businesses, for large businesses, for anyone really, for anyone who is interested in building a community, growing their community, and engaging with their community in a consistent basis. We have a solution for that. And so, and it sits very firmly between Slack and Discord in the market. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a part of that, it is up to the business, like this wine shop or this brewery or this coffee shop, we will have features in there where they can still have paid memberships like within, they did before. Within the community yeah. itself. Okay. And then that is up to them, how much they charge for them, what discounts they give, if it's pre-selling product. But Bizly as a business is not coupled to that program, is not coupled to the success of that. That is between the business owner and their customers. We merely provide the technology platform, the best technology platform for them to actually do that with their community. So it's a pivot in that it's, um, we are decoupling from our, our partner businesses in customers but it's in the same direction yeah. in that it's all based around community under the, the thesis that community is the most defensible thing you can build. Yeah. Well, I mean, the story of Bisley is just absolutely insane to me. And it's, yes. it, it, and it is, it is incredible just to see how, you know, quickly you're able to really see what the user, what the community needs and being able to kind of pivot in a way. I mean, obviously you have no idea if the pivot's going to be successful, but you, you, you envision with the success and what you're, what you're able to do as a team, you can make that pivot be very successful. Right. Um, it's, I mean, I, I feel like we're going to have to have a conversation in another year and have you back on to talk about, you know, how's the, how's this last year been? And like, I mean, you're so, you're so new in it. How can the people that are listening, either watching on YouTube, listening on wherever they get their podcasts, support you and kind of stay up to date with what Bizly is doing. Yeah, uh, you can find us online at bizly.com. Uh, feel free to send me an email, chris, C-H-R-I-S, at bizly.com. Uh, we're looking for a CTO. Brett and I are both software developers, but we want to hire someone who's better than both of us. So <laughs> if you are listening to this podcast and you're a programmer, software developer, and you're interested in full-stack web technologies, working with AWS and Node.js and Angular and React and things like that, shoot me an email. We'd love to have a conversation, but Bizly.com and uh, Chris at Bizly.com. So. You can find us on Instagram too, at uh, Bizly, and then uh, Facebook shop, or sorry, Instagram is Bizly.official, and then the Facebook is shop Bizly. Oh, I, I'm super, it's been great talking with y'all and like learning about your story, a uh, very quick story. Um, I continue to look forward to the success Bisley will have in Huntsville, um, around the country for years to come. And I can't wait to have you back on in a year and talk about what Bisley's been doing. Thank you so much. Yeah, of course. Thank Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Beyond Rockets. Don't forget you can subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen and on YouTube at Beyond Rockets. Be sure to follow me on Instagram at Beyond Rockets to stay up to date with new episodes as they are released. Thank you so much for listening and I hope you enjoyed.